This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Today is, actually tonight is Rosh Chodesh Elul. Very serious. In Yiddish they used to say on Rosh Chodesh Elul, the fish sit in the yam. The fish tremble in the ocean. Because Elul is the beginning, the 30 days before Judgment Day. We can imagine that anybody, they knew that in 30 days they were going in front of a judge to get a life sentence, to either live or not to live, you'd be extremely nervous and extremely worried. I only have 30 days left. El is a very, very, very serious time. The question is, what is a person supposed to do in Elul? What the Svardim, so they start tonight, tomorrow morning, they start saying Slichot. The Ashkenazim, we start saying Slichot the week before Rosh Hashanah. So, so the question is, what are, what are we supposed to do in Elul? It sounds really good. Elul, you know, so what? What am I supposed to do in Elul? What do I, what do I, what do I, tomorrow morning, what do I do different? So it's Elul, what do we do different, right? What do we do different? So we know one of the things that we do different is we blow shofar in Shul every morning in Elul till Erev Rosh Hashanah. One of the things that we do different. But what is a person, what is a girl? She doesn't go to Shul. She doesn't hear shofar in the month of Elul. And what does a person do themselves? What do they do differently? So that's one question. Another question, which we're going to speak about tonight, is like this. Elul stands for Ani Lidodi Uledodi Li. The Rashi Tevis. Ani is Aleph, right? Lidodi is Lamid. Uledodi starts with a Vav. And then Uledodi Li is with a Lamid. Ani Lidodi Uledodi Li. I am to my loved one, and my loved one is to me. That's what Ani Lidodi means. Uledodi Li. Now, what does that mean? That means Hashem. We're talking about Hashem. I am to my beloved Hashem, and my beloved Hashem, right, is to me. That's what it means. It's also Rosh Hashanah. El is also Rosh Hashanah. Ish which comes from Purim, a man to his friend, and he gives presents to the poor. So El doesn't only mean me and God. It's not only about me and God, but it's also about me and Ben Almachaveru, me and the other person. Someone came to me after the shield last night. He said it also today in today's generation said it stands for Ani. I am with cell phone, who cell phone Lee. I am to my cell phone and my cell phone is to me. I'm not gonna say I am to my Facebook and my Facebook is me because I said I'm not gonna talk about Facebook tonight. But the question is, what's Ladaidi in your life? Ani Ladaidi Ladaidi Lee, I am to my loved one. What does that represent? So I'm not going to go into my whole cell phone speech. That's not where we're going tonight. So I have a fantastic question. Fantastic question. At the end of Eicha and Tishabov, everyone remembers that we say, Hashiveinu Hashem Eilecha v'noshuva, Chadesh Yomeinu Kikedem. Hashiveinu Hashem Eilecha. Hashem, bring me back to you. Come get me. Bring me back to you. V'noshuva. And if you come get me, I'll come back to you. So who has to make the first move? Hashem has to make the first move. At the end of Eicha, the end of the destruction of Eicha, we tell Hashem, listen, come get me. If you come get me, right, then I'll come towards you. But in Elul, we're saying just the opposite. I am to Hashem, which means I have to make the first move. If Hashem sees that I am to Him, then he is to me. So today in our generation, there's there's um, a problem with communications, and in many times I'm involved in shiduchim with girls and boys. One of the problems that the girls are finding on their dates is that boys don't know how to express their feelings. So many times. They went out like 15 times, and the girl comes to speak to me, and she says, Rabbi Wallerstein, I don't know if he likes me. I'm like, you went out 15 times, and you don't know if he likes me? He doesn't say anything. I understand there's some yeshivas that say you're not allowed to use the word love, so he's not going to say after 15 days, I think I love you, because that's not a good word to use. There's some Rosh yeshivas that are against using that word until you're married. And then uh, we have to hope that after you're married, you can use that word. But there, but at least say, I think I might like you after 15 dates. At least let her know your feelings. 
And, and the girls are very upset that the boys, they don't show their feelings. So, so there was this one boy that I was dealing with. I said, you know, you went out 15 times. She has no idea if you like her. You have a great time together and everything's great. You never said anything to her for her to believe that you like her. So he said, Rebbe, why do I have to tell her first? Why do I have to tell her first? Why can't she tell me she likes me? Right? And then if she tells me, because I don't want to tell her I like her and then she's going to drop me like a hot potato and I'm going to feel like an idiot. Let her tell me that she likes me. And then I, I said, what world you come from? I don't know. The world where I was brought up, the world that I was brought up, the man is the one that says, Hariyat Makudesh And the man has to, is the one who courts the woman. The woman doesn't say, I like you. That's not even sneer stick for the woman to say first, I like you. First, he has to say, I like you. And then she can say, well, I think I might like you too. You know, but he has to say it first. Because that's the way it's supposed to be. Our day and age, things are a little bit flipping around. But they know how to text I like you, but to say I like you is very hard. So the question is, fantastic question. Listen to this question. In the relationship of God and the, of Hashem and the Jewish nation, who is the chassan, who is the kawa? Hashem is the chassan, right? We know from the Asher Hashirim. Hashem is the chassan, and Klai Yisrael with a kawa. So what's this? I need l'daydi, li. The kawa, which is Klai Yisrael, is saying to Hashem, I am to you, my beloved. Oh, we have, you have feelings for me, says Hashem? You said, I need l'daydi? Then I'm going to say, l'daydi li, I have feelings for you. That's not the way it's supposed to be. If we're the kawa, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is supposed to first say that I am to you, and then we're supposed to say back, and we are to you. So why does it look like in Elul that we are chasing Hashem instead of Hashem is chasing us? It's a question that Rav Shimshim Pinkas Al-Vashalom asked, and he gives an amazing, beautiful, beautiful answer. And he says that the month of Elul is not about dating Hashem. That's not what's going on here. It's not a date. Month of Elul is not a date. Pesach, we got engaged. Shavuot, we got married. We spoke about this in you know, many of my speeches on the Yom Tovim. But Elul is not about dating. He said, I'll tell you what Elul is all about. And he said the following. Very, very beautiful. He said, there's a little boy standing on the corner of a very busy street in Manhattan. Standing there. Traffic's going one way, the other way. Fire engines, ambulances, police cars, taxis. Everyone's beeping. The light's turning green. The light's turning red. It says walk. It says don't walk. This kid's a little teeny kid. He's standing there. And, you know, there's a famous saying, get lost in traffic. You know, he didn't want to get lost in traffic. And he's thinking to himself, I got to get, he got separated from his mother. His parents are on the other side. They don't even know they left him there. Right? He feels very, he, I got to get to the other side. But I can't run into traffic. And I don't know when to walk and when not to walk. Even though he's seeing the green and the red, he's not sure what's going on. Because then two seconds after it says walk, it starts flashing. And people are still walking. He didn't know what to do. So he's standing there and he's very lost and he's watching this traffic go by. He doesn't know what to do. So what does the little boy do? He sees an adult standing next to him. So he puts out his hand to the adult. And he says, excuse me, sir. Can you please cross me? And of course, any person standing on the corner of Avenue J and Coney and a little kid puts out their hand to you and says, can you please cross me? You're not going to go into a whole speech. You're going to take his hand. And you're going to say, of course. And many times it happens that I'm in Flatbush and, and I'm walking and a kid will say, excuse me, can you cross me? Because they know they have to wait on the corner until an adult crosses them. So you take this kid's hand and you cross them. Says Rav Shimshin Pinkus, Elul is when we're standing in front of Rosh Hashanah, in front of a year that's, gonna, that's coming with all kinds of traffic, all kinds of situations, all kinds of things being thrown at us. How are you going to get through the year? Shiduchim and children and Shalom Bayis and Parnassah and your job and, and, and your family and your health and all these cars zooming down the highway. Hashem, how am I ever going to make it through this year? Sadrach Shimshim Pinkis, 
what you need to do is you need to take your hand and you need to stretch it out to Hashem and you have to say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, can you cross me? I can't cross by myself. As he said in Yiddish, I can't cross. I need you to hold my hand to cross. Oh, when the child sticks out his hand to be crossed, then the adult takes that hand and crosses him across the street. Anil Adaydi has to come first. I am to my loved one is when you put out your hand to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if you put out your hand and you say, listen, the bottom line is that I cannot get through next year. I cannot make it across the street unless you cross me. Anil Adaydi, my hand is out to my beloved. For sure, Udaydi Lee, for sure HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to grab that hand and he's going to cross the street and he's going to take you through your year and you're going to make it. And that's how we made it this year. So he says, Elul is a time where a person has to realize and has to work himself into to a Rosh Hashanah. And by the time he comes to Rosh Hashanah, when he walks into Rosh Hashanah, and I saw it today in the Slichus of, of Yom Kippur Katan, which was Erev Rosh, which is Erev Rosh Chayish, which is today. So if you said the Slichus of Yom Kippur Katan, it says in the Slichus that we ask Hashem, please hold my hand when I'm standing in judgment. Hold my hand when I'm standing in judgment. So we have to work ourselves in this Elo the next 30 days to a point that our hand is tightly, tightly clenched together with Akash Baruch Hu's hand when we come to Rosh Hashanah for him to carry us for the next year through all the situations that a human being comes up with. So he says, he says a very, a very beautiful marshal. He says, you know, I don't know how old he was at that time. He says, you know how many Rosh Hashanahs, I'm sure everybody in, in this room is at least above 15 years old. So we all had at least 15 Rosh Hashanahs. Some of us had 50 Rosh Hashanahs, but some of us had 15 Rosh Hashanahs. The question is, after a Rosh Hashanah and a Yom Kippur and a Sukkot, what did you come out with? What changed? Had a great Rosh Hashanah, the shofar was nice, the apple and honey was fantastic, the family was over, Yom Kippur was unbelievably spiritual circus was fantastic and then how many of us changed how many of us last year this is just an example right how many of us last year before Rosh Hashanah had the internet or whatever we had and after circus the rest of the year the internet was gone was closed or your Facebook was closed or your not Jewish music was closed or you became more tznius. How many of us changed? Not that we had a good Rosh Hashanah, a good Yom Kippur. Because Goyim also have good years without a Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Everyone thinks Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is all about, oh, I should have a good year. The whole world has good years. They don't have a Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. So that's not what it's all about. It's about growth. It's about getting close to Kishmur. It's about growth. So how many of us come out of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, and something we did wrong before that Rosh Hashanah... We came out afterwards, we don't do that anymore. Very few. Very few. So he says, there was a, there was a thing in the old days, it was called the Yerid. The Yerid was like a, traveling like a market, like a market day. And, and it wasn't like today where you could go on the internet and buy whatever you want. There were all, in Europe, there were all these little teeny state, look, little teeny towns. And they couldn't make it to the big town, like to Warsaw, to the big town. So what happened is they would, there was a sort of traveling fair, right? Traveling show. And they would come to every single city. And in that show, there would be people selling jewelry, selling clothing, selling farm goods. Everything that you would need for your business in that little city, these people would come in the fair and they would stop city by city by city. And then you'd come, you'd buy whatever you have to. It was sort of the big city coming to the little town. It was a fair. And in fact, we have it today. I mean, we have it here in, uh, in, in New York. You know, you have the jewelry show and you have the toy show. Um, I don't know about clothing, but yeah, they have these big, you know, maybe the fashion show. They have these big shows. So my friends, a lot of my friends are in the jewelry business. So it's a fantastic show. You go to see the show. It's huge, 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 huge. And every jeweler, watchmaker, anyone that has anything to do with jewelry is in that show trying to sell their stuff. So... There are two kinds of people walking through that show. There are the people that are there for business. I have a little jewelry, I have a little store on King's Highway. 
right? And I want to buy goods for next year. So I got to go to the jewelry show, right, in the Javits Center. And I got to go from booth to booth to booth and figure out what my people like. I come with my checkbook. I buy earrings. I buy watches. I buy this. I buy that, right? And you have a ba- you have a, like a badge, and the badge says that you have a store. Then you got people who are tourists like me. I don't have a jewelry store, so why am I going? I want to see what's going on in the watch business. I want to see what's going on. I want to see the, you know, the, the new yellow canary blind, blonde six, you know, six carat diamond. I heard that they're showing it at the show. I got to see a six. I never saw that before. And you got all these tourists, right? These people who come to the jewelry show, they're not buying anything. And on your card, it's a different color card because you don't have a, you don't have a store. Why do they do that? Because when you go by the booth, they look at, they look at your card. And if they see that you're, you don't have a store, they don't give you any attention. You're just coming to look at my stuff. You're not coming to buy, right? So the way they set up these shows is they don't want the people who are selling the goods to waste their time with people who aren't buying, right? Because then they're not going to come back the next year. So it's a different color. So the guy who has a store, oh, let's sit down. Let's have a coffee. They're talking business with him, right? But the guy who's just a tourist, they're like, hi, how are you? Here's a card. Goodbye. You know, get out of the way. And, and in any show even the electronic show in Vegas, right? So there are big electronic companies that come down for their stores. And then you got the people who fly down there. They want to see the latest in computers, the latest in the iPods. And they're not really... So So what's the difference? The difference is that the guy who's... It's beautiful, beautiful Marshall. The guy who's coming to the show to buy goods, number one, he's got to take... It's, it's such a perfect Marshall for, for Ella. So the first thing he does to prepare to go to the show in the Javis Center is he has to take inventory because he doesn't want to go buy if he has 20 hoop rings or 20 carat diamond, you know, one carat diamond earrings. He doesn't want to overstock. So the first thing he does before the show comes to town is he makes the girls in his office take inventory to see exactly what he has so that when he goes to the show, he doesn't buy doubles. He, he knows what he has to buy. Number one, he takes an inventory. Number two... He figures out what he needs, and he figures out how much money, because at a show, you gotta pay cat, you gotta pay on the spot. You don't pay on the spot, the other guy gets it, right? So he's gotta figure out how much money he's gotta put in his bank, knowing what he needs to buy for his inventory. Okay, I'm missing about $10,000 worth of goods. He comes with either $10,000 cash or $10,000 check or credit card, whatever it is. He's prepared. I'm going to the show. I need $10,000, and maybe there's gonna be some piece of jewelry that I'm not prepared for. I better take $2,000 extra. Just in case, because if I'm going to go back to get my money, someone else is going to buy it. He prepares for the show. What if the person who's coming just to, to hang out prepare? Nothing. No inventory. Doesn't take any money with them. They, they, they can't even buy, but they're not buying, right? They're not buying. They're just looking. So they just put on their suit or, or whatever they want, jeans, and they go to the show. And they end up walking in, walking around, spending eight hours, coming back out. So what did you get? Nothing. I don't own a store. Didn't come to get anything. Walking in and walking out, the same person, nothing changed. So the same thing is with us. The show, the fair, the Yerid, is Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is when everything's up for sale. Life, health, shiduchim, how much pain you're going to go through. Everything of the year is up for sale. Everything's up for sale in Rosh Hashanah. Every book is open in Shemaim. Every book for everything in your life is up for sale. There's two kinds of people. There's one that comes to Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Aserasi Mechuva, Sukkis, just coming to check it out. A tourist doesn't prepare, is not coming to buy anything, is not coming to gain, is not coming to do anything, just going through it's yard theft. The family's coming, we're going to build a sukkah, and this year it's unbelievable, someone told me. I didn't check it out yet, but Cholomoy this year for sukkahs, it's all weekdays, they're going to Orlando, they're going to, Mickey Mouse is going to make a lot of money this Cholomoy, because all the Jews were all going to go down to Orlando, because we have four days. It's very nice, don't get me wrong, you have a sukkah in the middle of Disneyland, it's very nice. But is that what sukkahs is all about? Is that preparing to come out of Sukkot with something? So the, the 30 days that we have now, since we're coming, we're, we're coming to buy life, we're coming to buy health, so to say, we're coming to Rosh Hashanah, it's the biggest fear of all, 
I'm F-A-I-R, not F-E-A-R, which it is also, right? So therefore, the question is, did you take inventory? Did you sit in the next 30 days and go through your inventory, your Averos, your mitzvos, what you gained this year, what you were able to change this year? You have to take inventory. You're coming to Rosh Hashanah. Are you going to take on the same thing you took on last year? Or are you going to add something else so you can add something new? You can't just come to Rosh Hashanah. Are you prepared? Are you prepared for Rosh Hashanah? What did you change? The very nice, very cute story about Elo and Rosh Hashanah. There's this guy who was a poor man, and he came to collect tzedakah. And he came to this town. It was a very wealthy man. But they, everyone knew that this man only gives to people he knows. He doesn't give to tzedakah to strangers. If he doesn't know you, he doesn't give you anything. So he comes to Shul, this guy, he asks somebody where he lives. He says, what do you, you don't come from this town, you're wasting your time. This man is known, he will not give anything to someone he doesn't know. You're wasting your time, don't get embarrassed. Let, just tell me where he lives. Tell them where he lives. This guy, this poor man, goes up to the door, knocks on the door, says, Hi, I'm here to collect tzedakah. The rich man stands by the door, he says, Didn't they tell you? I don't know you. I don't give charity to people that I don't know. So I don't know why you even slept all the way out here. Have a nice life. And he slams the door. Okay. Poor man waits about 10 minutes. Walks around the block. Comes back a half an hour later. Knocks on the door. Rich man opens up the door. Says, what are you doing here? I told you to get out of here. He said, well, didn't you say you, 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 you don't give tzedakah to people you don't know? But you met me half an hour ago. Now you know me. Now you have to give me tzedakah. When a person stands on Rosh Hashanah and we cry and we listen to the shofar and we daven, we ask Hashem for all the things that we need, the malachim and shamayim, the kategorim, the prosecutors, take your tefillah and they say to Hashem, who is this? We didn't hear from her all year. Who is this? Oh, all of a sudden... Rosh Hashanah, her life is on the line. Now she showed up. We don't, we don't take strangers. We don't know who she is. She didn't pray a whole year. So Chazal say, you need to daven in Elul and daven every single day so that when your neshama comes up on Rosh Hashanah, it's not a guest. It's already a neshama that lives up there because it's up there every day praying. Not a stranger, but if you're going to wait till Rosh Hashanah to start davening, you're going to say, who, who is this? I never, we never heard from her before. Just like this poor man beat the system by coming around and saying, what do you mean? I'm not a stranger anymore. You met me half an hour ago. We also have to prepare. We have to beat the system. And therefore, very important thing is that in Elul, even if you don't daven every day, a whole year, in Elul is a good time to start. A chakras, a mincha, whatever, a kriyashma, shemana esrei, whatever you have time to do, whatever it is, to daven every single day. And of course, I told you last time, to daven every single day at the same time means that it's not just something that, oh, I have time, I'm going to daven. That you make that time kaddish. Whether it's ten minutes in the morning, or five minutes, or in the afternoon, whatever it is, but to do it every single day at the same time. Otherwise, it's just like, oh, at ten o'clock I had time? Moda, you know, I don't alum. Tomorrow, 11 o'clock, oh, I just happen to have time. That's not, that's, it's tefillah, but it's not, it's not serious. It just means it's an afterthought. But if at 9.30, 9.30, I don't care my phone is off, I don't care if the world comes in, from 9.30 to 9.40, I daven. That makes that prayer, that tefillah, it makes it very special. Because that means that you're making those 10 minutes Kaddish Hashem. And that, that's much different than every single day davening at a different time. Elul is a very good time to daven every single day so that when you show up on Rosh Hashanah, they're like, oh, we know that one, let them in. We know that girl, we know that tefillah, we know that neshama, we know that heart, let them in. It's, it's, it's a preparation. You're going, you're going to the market for your life. So yeah, you gotta take inventory. And, 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 and you gotta give tzedakah, and you gotta spend money, and you gotta be prepared. And, and if you're taking on something big, right? Let's say you're thinking, I always take something on every single year. Something, I don't take on something big. I take on something very small. Because if you take on something big and you don't keep it, right, then all of a sudden you start to break down and you get into that, that diet mode that, you know, what do they call that? Not a rally, uh, a streak. We call it the streak mode where, you know, you dive in. I didn't miss a million for five years and then you miss it once, you're gone. You're on a diet, you lost 50 pounds, and you ate one piece of cake because your friends got you to eat it, and from then on you're eating everything in sight, right? 
Why? So you ate a piece of cake. So tomorrow, run or exercise an extra 10 minutes, right? But it was a streak. Human beings, we have this streak mentality, right? I'm on a streak, I'm on a streak, I'm on a streak. You break that streak and everything. So, so sometimes it's not good to take on very big things. You have to, everyone should take on every year something small. You take on something small after a a life of 90 years, you're a big tzaddik or tzaddikista because you took on a lot of different things. So, so you have to start thinking in Elul now, today. Start thinking, what, what, what can I take on next year? What could I change in my life next year? That when, I, when, when after a Shani Yom is over, I'm never going to go back to what I was doing. Whether it's sneers or music or, or how you treat your parent, whatever it is, whatever it is, you have to plan it. Because you just say, I'm just taking on. You have to plan, how am I going to do this? I want to be more sneers. I want to be more sneers. My wardrobe that I have right now is not going to work. So that means that in the next 30 days, I got to start shopping differently. And if I don't know how to shop for Tzniah's ticket things, then I need to go with someone who's going to teach me that you can buy beautiful Tzniah's clothing. But something you got to start. It's got to be planned out. You're going to the marketplace. You're changing your life. You need to plan it out. I don't want to talk Lashon Hara anymore. You can't just say I don't want to talk Lashon Hara anymore. You got to start thinking, which girls talk to me Lashon Hara all the time? You know what? So I have to talk less to her. Or... You know what, for the first half a day, my, my biggest Lashon Hara is at night before I go to sleep, I call all my friends and I tell them everything I heard that day. So you know what, from now on, I took on my, I'm taking on myself that at night, after supper, I don't call anybody. You want to call me, call me in the morning. In the morning, I'm not, I'm not into Lashon Hara, I'm too busy with my work. You, I don't know you, so I can't tell you what to do. I don't even know me. I definitely don't know you, right? You have to go inside the next 30 days and plan out when you come to the fair, when you come to Rosh Hashanah, plan out how you're going to change your life. It's not so simple. It takes time. First, you have to come up with what you want to change. That's the first thing you have to come up with. And you could write it on a piece of paper and you could say, I think this is more important, this is less important, this I can do, this I can't do. But if a person takes on something to change and they change that, it's a skula for arichas yamim. It's a skula to live long. Because if every Rosh Hashanah the person took on something and they kept it, then Akash Baruch wants to give them another year. He, because you have, a, like in business, right? If I make a deal with someone and it's a, it's a $100 deal and I pay for it. And then it's a $200 deal and I pay for it. And I continue doing business with the person, they give me more credit. Anyone, any, I don't know how many girls are in business, but that's how you get credit. You don't start off with $100,000 credit. You start off with $100 credit. And then $200, and then $500, and then $1,000. Now, if you come, Shaniyam Kippur, and you say, Hashem, next year, my kibbutz of aim, I'm never going to answer my mother back, I'm doing tshuva, I'm changing my life. And then you start answering your mother back, so you didn't even keep your deal. So what's going to happen next year? You're not going to keep your deal. Where's your credit line? Where's your credit line? So the Chazal say it's better to take on little things to change every single year the next year a little bigger because you're going to take on a big thing and not keep it you're going to bust your credit right out if you're going to borrow a thousand dollars someone's going to come up to me tonight and say well Alistair can I borrow a thousand dollars I don't happen to have it on me but let's say I had it on me right and I'm like okay I don't really know you but you're not going to rip me off right I'm rather Wallerstein no way been ripped off many times but you're not going to rip me off and I give her the thousand dollars and she says she's going to pay me in a week comes around the week she comes to my shir, I'm like, okay, you have the envelope? Oh, I need another week. Oh, I need another week. Oh, here's $20. Well, I need another week. Her, next time she needs money, how am I giving it to her? Because her credit is out the window. Now, she didn't even need the $1,000. She just, give me the 1000 that way, I definitely will have enough. If she would have come to me and said, Red Watson, can I have $100? Can I have $100? And came back the following week and paid me back the $100. By the way, that's how these Ponzi schemes work. Because they know what they're doing. They don't go out and ask for a lot of money. Pay me back the $100 two weeks later. And Wallace, you remember I borrowed $100 I paid you back. Can I borrow 200 Sure. Pays me back the 200 Then it goes to 500 Then it goes to 1000 Then it goes to 2000 Because this person's word, right, is a credibility that she built up. Well, you know what? We have the same thing on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. You can't keep coming back every Rosh Hashanah and telling Hashem that I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And you don't, and you don't, and you don't. Not that Hashem doesn't trust you, but the Malachim are going to come up and say, what are you giving her life? On what basis? Every year she lies to you. Every year she, she's not trustworthy. 
She tells you, give me life, I'm going to do this, that, and the other thing. She doesn't do it. And chas v'shalom, it can cause major, major problems. So whatever you take on, which is shining Yom Kippur to change, and you need to take on something to change, because if there's no growth, so why do you need to be back here next year? If you didn't grow, Hashem wants, Hashem didn't put us in the world to eat and go to the bathroom and go to sleep and go to work and go to college. It's not what he put us in the world for. If human beings would stay on the same level all the time, then he would have made us rocks, domains. Because rocks you put in the field, and it stays a rock, and that's it. Human beings are here to grow. And if a person doesn't grow from year to year, so there's no reason for you to be here. Chas v'shalom. You need to give Hashem a reason for you to be here. Otherwise, He'd rather have you up there than have you down here. So every year, a person has to give Hashem a reason to be here. One of those reasons is growth. Even teeny, eeny, weeny, teeny growth. I mean, I don't know girls and sneers and makeup and this and that, but like on Shabbos, if someone's putting on lipstick, right? Just to say, I know it's wrong, I can't help it, I go to shul, I, I feel, without lipstick, I feel like I'm not wearing, I, I feel like, you know, totally out of place. So I wear lipstick. So this year, Hashem, I'm taking on myself, just give me an example. This year, no lipstick on Shabbos. It's not the greatest thing that ever happened, but it's, it's something, right? Beautiful. You took on something. You're keeping it. It's growth. I'm just giving you that as an example. Because it's little things in your life. I don't know your life. That's what we need to do. And Elul is the month where we prepare to go to the fear. We take inventory of what I'm doing with my life. What did I gain this year? Who did I hurt this year? Who did I help this year? What is my relationship with Hashem? Did it get better? Did it get worse? You know, that doesn't always get better. Some years we have a better relationship. Sometimes we fall. You need to take inventory. That's what Elul is about. You need to take inventory. And then once you have inventory, then you'll have an idea of what you're missing and what you need to ask for on Rosh Hashanah, Hashem's help, and what you're missing. That's what this month, it's a very special month. That's what this month is all about. And also, of course, getting close to our Baruch Hu and understanding, and, and, and I spoke on the phone today, whatever, gave a little bit of a share on the phone, and I, I, was telling the, I, was, I was telling the women on the phone that when I heard this story, I heard this story many years ago about the little boy on the corner, Kensworth Crossing. There are times, really, there are times, I mean, I'm a little weird, but there are times on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, well, I will put my hand out while I'm davening. I will close my eyes and I will put my hand out. Mamish put my hand out and say, I can't cross Hashem. I, I'm, I can't cross. I can't help this girl. I can't help that girl. I can't help myself. I can't get over this Avera. I can't get past what, wasting time. I, I, I got this problem with coming late. Hashem, I need your help. I need your help. It's one of my things. You don't know how many Yom Kippers I've taken on little teeny things. I never took on Reverend Wallstein from now on is going to be on time. It's not going to happen. Not every single time. And then the one time I'm going to show up late because there was traffic. Oh, I'm late. I broke it up. Now I don't have to come on time anymore. So I took on little things. person has to take on little things. But there are times in Yom Kippur Rosh Hashanah where I close my eyes and I put out my hand. I'm like a Kosh Baruch Hu. I'm that little boy. I'm on the corner having J. There's stuff flying by me. I don't even know how to deal with it. My business is having problems and this is having problems. And this girl's having... I don't know what to do. There are cars flying by. Please, please. I'm lost. Take me across the street. What a feeling. I'm not going to tell you it feels like Hashem takes my hand, but you know what? It does. I can't promise you you're going to get that feeling, but in Mamish, I feel like I'm lost, a little kid. I have an imagination. You have to have an imagination for this, right? Some people in shul think I'm something like, what's he doing, you know? But you, and you don't have to wait for a Shadim Kippur. You don't have to wait for a Shadim Kippur. You can sit on the edge of your bed tonight, and you can say, Kosh Baruch Hu, I, I, I can't get through life like this. Just nothing's working. I can't do it. I can't do it. Here, you know, here's my hand. Just, just grab my hand, and you'll feel, you'll feel it in your soul. You'll feel it. That's Elo. I need a daidi, You got to put your hand out. You got to put your hand out, because you're the one that's stuck on the corner, and the and the and the, and the adult that's standing there. When if there's a kid just standing on the corner, watching traffic, so you think he's just enjoying himself watching traffic. He's watching the buses and the fire engines. He doesn't want to cross. You have to stick out your hand. You have to say, Hashem, cross me. And then you guarantee that a Baruch will cross you. I said a long time ago, so I, I spoke in, um, wow, it was a very busy week. Um, I spoke in Camp Sternberg this Sunday night. 
Amazing. I think there were like 800 girls in that. In, in, it was amazing. In camp, anyway, you're out there and there was, uh, there was just a lot, a lot of energy in the room. And I, I was, when I, when I went to speak there, I usually don't really know what I'm going to speak about. And I just figure by the time I get there, I'll figure it out. And, and uh, it, was, it was perfect because after my last week's share, so they asked me to speak about the relationship of a person and Hashem that, that they're, especially in our generation, there's so much that we ask from Hashem and we don't feel He's listening. The, the Shaduchim crisis, I don't have to tell you about. It's a major crisis. Parnassah crisis, Shalom bias crisis, kids off the derech crisis. And you have mothers that are crying a whole night that their children should come home. And you have girls, you know, that what, what a woman said to me. Um, she said that there was a girl that came to her and she said to her, this girl was telling her the prob- her problems, and she said to this girl, my pillow is wetter than your pillow. She said, Rewalti, men don't understand that, but you don't know how many girls at night, they're crying on their pillows, and their pillows are full of Jewish tears. And especially in the Shidduch market, and, and, and in mothers, that their kids are not home, and there, there's so much going on, and that, that even the firmest people, and the people who are orthodox and keep Shabbos and everything else, Deep down, they don't want to express it to anybody, but deep down, sometimes they're wondering, like, he's just not listening. He, ju- he just doesn't care. You know, I went to Amuka, and, and, and I went to Rabbi Gamliel, and I went to this Chacham, and I went to the Kaisel, and I said, Shir for 40 days, and, and I'm a good girl, and I'm a Tznua, and, and I don't talk to boys, and I'm, and I'm 35 years old, and I'm 40 years old, and I'm 32 years old, and, and Hashem, it's, it's, it, it, he's just not listening. No matter what I do, he's just not listening. So the head counselor said to me, Rabbi Wallstein, I just have to tell you that it's a lot of the girls' heads that, that Hashem's just not listening. You, you, have to, you have to get across to them that Hashem is always listening. So I'm like, you know, what am I going to tell them? One of these stories from the Chafetz Chaim. We're not the Chafetz Chaim. You know, where? yeah, the Chafetz Chaim did this. And a story in the Holocaust. We're not, what could I tell them to, to, to prove to them that Hashem is listening? So... I spoke about this once before, but I went in a totally different direction. But I thought about it this summer, and I, I want to share it with you. I'll prove to you that Hashem is listening. So I'm very into the Bria, everyone knows that. Butterflies, and I like watching what goes on, the pearl that comes from the oyster. I, I, you know, I find a lot of, you can find Hashem, of course, in the Bria. So one of the things I spoke about years ago, maybe two years ago, was this little bug that flies around at night that um, we used to call as kids lightning bugs, but that went out the door because it's just not technically, it's not, you know, it doesn't sound right, right? So um, they don't call it lightning bugs anymore. They call them fireflies. Now, if you're up in the mountains for the summer, it's absolutely amazing. It, this stuff blows my mind. But I, I just, I don't know how human beings, right, can see all this and just not think about it. Like, how can you give a class? Who, who the last person gave a class on a firefly, right? It's like, so, how does anyone in this room understand that a bug lights up? How do any of you understand? You go to camp, you go to the bungalow colony, there are hundreds of them, and you're walking with you, with you, whatever, you're walking with your iPod, your things in your ears, like this, right? In the, in the false world that doesn't exist, right? The world of metal and digital, no life, just pure death, right? That's what you live in. And right by you is going this little fly, Shalom Aleichem, he lights up. Now, now, when we were in, in, in school, so we did this project. We took 30 fireflies in Muncie, and we put them in a little jar. And you, mamish, if you do that, it's, it's Sabal Chaim. You shouldn't do it. Um, but for me, it was growth because I was the kid with the magnifying glass that was popping the spiders, you know, with the sun. So for me, just putting them in a jar, that was, that was already, I was doing tshuva. I wasn't, you know, pulling the legs out of daddy long legs. I was already becoming like a good boy, you know. So we weren't betting on which fly dies on the on the fly paper first, you know? Okay. Anyway, girls, girls will know this. Anyway, so this was a big thing. We had 25 fireflies in the jar. You put it on your table at night. You can mamish read. Really, really. You, you, can, I mean, you can't read, really, but you could, you could see the difference between objects. They really give off light. So, thinking to myself, I don't know, there's a lot of things that should be giving off light that don't. Like when the deer crosses the highway, Right, it would be very good if he had a pair of lights on him, so we don't run him over. Right, and all the cats and the dogs and all the things that cross in, the, you know, in the streets over here, they should have. Why did Hashem put a light 
on a teeny little beetle bug. Right? What does he need a light for? And it seems to be that God, that Hashem got it in reverse. He gave him a tail light instead of a headlight. The firefly's light is in the back, not in the front. Now, fireflies don't fly backwards. So why would a bug need a light behind it? If this bug can't see at night, then put the light in front of it. Now, for all those who don't think bugs fly at night, if you ever drive to the mountains with a clean windshield when you start, by the time you get up, it's full of bugs that were. Right? It's like you say Yisker for all of them because there's like hundreds of them that are dead on your, you know, it's sad. It's very sad. So bugs, by the way, fly at night. They also, I'm going to give you a little lesson in science. They also eat each other at night. And, of course, the chain of command in this world is that the big bug eats the little bug. Who eats the smaller bug? Who eats the smaller bug? Who eats the smaller bug? Same thing in the world of fish. Same thing in the world of the animals. The big animal eats the little animal, which eats the little animal. Right? It's the chain. Listen to this. Where is he going? How is he proving God? Listen, this is amazing. So, this little bug, I was wondering... Why does it have to light up? So I did research. And now it's much easier for you to do research. You should hit that Google schmoogle thing, right? And put in Firefly and it tells you everything. Gives you a report for college, high school, whatever you need. Right? In the old days, we had to actually open up something called an encyclopedia. And it didn't have self-spell. You had to actually spell words. Well, you know, it was tough days. What can I tell you? Baruch Hashem, you don't have to do that. Anyway, so we researched this Firefly. Listen to this. The firefly, this little bug, blood, is extremely bitter. It's fluorescent, that's what causes the light, whatever, but it's extremely, the, the bug itself is very, is very bad tasting bug. Not for us, for bugs. So, look it up, this is what it says. That the firefly, when it's eaten by the bigger bug at night, being that it's so bitter, the bigger bug spits it out. It doesn't want to digest it because it's disgusting. So what did Hashem do? Hashem said that the whole reason for a big bug to eat a little bug is so that it has nutrients and it can live. The big bug lives off the little bug. But if the big bug eats the little bug and then after it kills it, it tastes that it's bitter and it spits it out, then the big bug gets nothing from the little bug, which means that the little bug died for no reason. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu went ahead and said, we should find out that the bug doesn't taste good after it's dead, and it's not going to help the big bug, so it's a waste. This bug, this bug, this little bee, how big they are, they're teeny. This little teeny bug that flies around, it's a nuisance, at night. Hashem cares about that bug so much, that chas v'shalom, it shouldn't be killed for no reason, that he put, he went and caused a miracle in Bria, a total miracle in Bria, and put a little light in the back of the bugs, because bugs eat other bugs from the back. They don't eat head on. They catch the bug from the back and eat it. So therefore, if the light was in the front of the bug, then the bug behind it would not know. It would eat the bug and then find, oh my goodness, I ate, I ate well, ugh, feh, and spit it out. So Hashem went ahead and he caused a nais nifla, that there's a bug in the world that makes light so that the big bug, when it wants to eat it, says, no. That, the one with the light on it, that's a firefly. That guy tastes disgusting. It's flashing. I am disgusting. <laughs> Don't bite. That's what it's flashing. And this is not, this is not in a safer or a medrash. If you, if you can't, you don't want to go into the site with Google Firefly. It's going to tell you there are two reasons that the firefly lights up. One is for that, and one is for mating. Whatever. But it's, they sniffle. So I said to the girls in Sturman, I said, we're sitting here, human beings, and we're saying, does Hashem care about me? Hashem doesn't care about me. Hashem doesn't care what happens to me. No, he doesn't care about you. You're a human being. You're the reason the world was created. He cares about a bug that it shouldn't be eaten for no reason. And he doesn't care about you. You're off the wall. You think he can't? And not only that, he went ahead and he created this thing that it should produce light. 
a bug that produces light so that it doesn't get eaten for no reason. And we're walking around saying, nah, I dive into him all the time. He don't care about me. He cares about the firefly, but he doesn't care about the human being. Because cares about every teeny little Bria in the world. There's a famous story. I don't remember with who. I read it in a book. Where there was a, a, a Talmud came to his Rebbe. And he said, I don't understand why leaves fall off a tree. Why do leaves fall off a tree in autumn? Right? Leaves fall off a tree. The tree didn't die. So leave the leave on. If it didn't die anyway. So, so the Rebbe said, come, I'll show you. It's a pretty famous story. And they, went into the, and they went into the woods and they started to turn over the leaves that had fallen from the trees. And underneath many of the leaves, they found worms and caterpillars. The leaves, Akash Baruch Hu, the caterpillar, cannot be out in the sun. He dries up, if you've ever seen after it rains, um, in, in, the, in, the, in the mountains or even in the city sometimes. But now you don't see many in the city. But after it rains... So all the worms and the caterpillars come out onto the streets because the water fills up the holes in the, on, the, in the, on the lawns. And if they're out there and the, and the sun's out, they never, they all die in the street. You see them, they all get dried up. So Kosh created, he said, so this Rebbe showed, he said, see, we think the leaf is a waste. It just flies off the tree. But it lands on this worm and on that bug and on this bug. And that whole insect world that we have nothing to do with lives underneath these leaves that fall off the trees to protect them from the environment. Oh, but us, he don't care about. He created leaves to fall off a tree, to land on a worm. Oh, God cares about the caterpillar. But me, a human being who was created on the sixth day, who the whole world was created for me, not me, he doesn't care. Yeah, let her dive in, who cares? You know, let her cry, who cares? Doesn't mean anything. It's what we call a kal v'chaimah. Surely if Hashem is worried about a little bug being eaten by, by some bigger bug and then getting spit out, he definitely is worried about us. So there's a lot more which we don't know the answers to why sometimes... He's listening. He's listening. And I don't like that answer that he says no. You know, oh, he heard you, but he said no. That's not godly. He said no. He said maybe yes to the negative. In other words, yes to the... Not that no, this shidduch won't work, right? But sort of yes, this shidduch won't work. Because God is not negative whatsoever. So I don't know, people say, you know, he says no, he said no, he sounds like a bad father, you ask him for the car, he says no. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit deeper than that. We have to be macabre, we don't understand it, but we have to be macabre, and the way really to get, to get around is put your hand out. I think that a lot of people, more people would be married today if, uh, if they put their hands out to Hashem and realized that it doesn't have anything to do with the shachin, or how much they checked out the boy, or how much they checked out the girl. And once we, once we keep our hand out of Hashem's hand, then Hashem says, okay, then do it on your own. Well, a girl marrying a boy is totally connected to Teva. It's not Teva. It's not natural for a man and a woman to get married. It's not, everyone thinks it's natural. It's so not natural. They're so different. It's amazing how different they are. It's, it, if it was natural, you wouldn't have to have Hashem being Mizavik Zvugim. Hashem makes Shidduchim one third of the day or a certain amount of hours a day. It says that God makes Shidduchim. If it was just, oh, boy and girl, it's natural. It's not natural. We're very different. A guy and a girl are very, very different. So because HaKadosh Baruch Hu put feelings into the world and other things, and a Torah and mitzvahs, so it works. But it's definitely not a natural thing. That's for sure. For two people to live together and share their lives, their whole life, Especially guys who are in a dorm in yeshiva, and not sharing nothing with nobody, and all of a sudden this girl shows up, and it's like, you know, we're partners. Like, hello, like, why? You know, like, and it's, a, it's, it's definitely a shock to the system. Guys are not used to that. You know, we're not that, we're not that much of an emotional being. We don't like to talk. You know, in yeshiva, in the dorm room, you don't talk. You get, you walk in, you play ball, you, you finish learning, you pop into your bed, you don't even get undressed usually, you fall asleep, put your clothes on, you know, all of a sudden you come home, your wife's like, Put on the pajamas, put your clothing out. You're like, put my clothing out? What does that mean, you know? And they're like looking at each other, like one's from Mars. You know, we know that. One's from Venus. HaKadosh Baruch has to be Mazavik Zvugim. So, the more you think it's you, Hashem says, you know what? I'll, I'll step away. You know how to make Shaduchim. You know what you're doing. Fine. Let's see you do it. So, yes, and this is always the question of how much do you have to do? And, 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 and somebody asked me this this week. You know, like, 
Do you have to call every Shadchan? Do I have to go to Baltimore if a boy is willing to go out with me? Do I have to fly to L.A.? Like, you know, how much do you have to do? What's that line between between the Amuna and and what a person you know what a person has to do? So I told them, really, you don't need a Shadchan. You don't need to go nowhere. If you really have Amuna, one hundred percent, he'll find you. Now, and Wallace, what are you talking about? You're going to sit at home. My phone's going to ring, right? And the answer is no. You know why? Because you can't pick and choose where your Amuna is. You can't say that when it comes to Shiduchim, I'm sitting home. I'm not making any phone calls. But when it comes to Panasa, I got to go to college. I got to get a master's. I got to get a PhD. I got to do this and I got to do that. That you want to do. So that you do yourself. When it comes to Shiduchim, it's like, I know guys, right? When it comes to everything, they don't trust nobody. When it comes to making a Panasa, it's like, I'm going to sit home. Hashem wants me to make a living. He'll send it to me. If that's how you live your whole life, Rav Shimon by Yechoi went into a cave and he believed that Hashem gave him everything and he didn't think that he was anybody. So yeah, sure, he went into a cave to learn. Up came a tree, a boxer tree. I'm sure half of you saw it in Israel. Then all of a sudden a spring came with water. What's the deal? Why did Hashem do those miracles? And the answer is, it's not a miracle for him because he knows everything's in Hashem's hands. So you can't just come to Shiduchim and say, I have Emunah. It's all going to work out. I don't have to do anything. If you really have that amuna in everything, you talk, you don't have to do anything. The truth is you won't have to do anything. And there are stories of girls, you know, that whatever. They did that, 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 and everything. They couldn't find a shidduch. And then, craziest story. The craziest story. This one met that one. who met this one. Who she taught five years ago was her brother. Ah, there's many, many different ways. But you can't just pick and choose where you have amuna. A person has to be even on their amuna in everything. And on that level of amuna, that's how much, that's how much you have to do the work. And I'm not saying that if you if you don't have a moon in Panasa and you don't have a moon in other things, then then you then you have to work very hard on your shiduchim. If it's a person that, and it doesn't mean sitting back and being lazy. That's not a muna. A muna means I really believe that it has nothing to do with me. It has 100% to do with Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem Hashem Yehovcha, who Yikakalecha. When you throw him your problem and you totally say it's your problem, Hashem, it's not mine. You got to deal with it. Then Hashem deals with it. As long as you're the one who's carrying it, the backpack, then you're carrying the backpack. Then Hashem's not carrying the backpack. And that's, that's what Emunah is. And, and therefore, a person has to understand when it comes to trials and tribulations in life, right? If you understand that Hashem worries about a firefly, if that's what he's worried about, and he's worried about some bug on the floor, that it should have a nice leaf, you know, land on it and keep it cool, right? It should be in the shade. Then you understand that because Baruch cares about us and loves us and wants to give us good. But we have to put out our hands. We have to put our hands to him. That's what this Elul is about. You're going to stand in Rosh Hashanah. There's three courts. There's three courts in Shemayim that we're judged by. It's your choice which court you're going to go to. One court is run by angels. It's called Bezdin Shalmalachim. It's brought down in Kabbalah. No human being walks into that court and comes out innocent. Every Neshama that's judged by Malachim comes out guilty. You don't have a chance. Because the angels do not understand us. They look at human beings. Hashem gave them our Torah, our Shabbos, and look what these human beings are doing with it. They don't like us. Malachim, they don't like us because they feel that we stole all their good stuff. They wanted to kill Moshe Rabbeinu. We had to hold on to the throne of Hashem. They do not like us. They think we took all their goodies, right? So when we get judged in their courtroom, they're like, guilty, guilty, human being, guilty, you don't appreciate anything, you don't have any hakar satov Hashem, guilty, you don't have a chance. The middle court, it's brought down in Kabbalah, you're judged by the rabbis of your time that are not alive anymore. Moshe Feinstein, Shmuel Birnbaum, right? Our generation, those Gedalim. There you have a chance. You have a chance. They understand the generation. They understand there was internet. They understand what New York is all about. They have an understanding of what was going... That Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't judge us. So Moshe Rabbeinu, from his generation, we'd all be guilty. So it has to be the Rabbanim of our generation. So that courtroom, it says in Kabbalah, Chatsi Zakai, Chatsi Choyv. Half the people walk out innocent, and half the people walk out guilty. And the third Bezdin is the Bezdin of God, of Hashem. Everyone that walks into his Bezdin walks out innocent. Why? Banim Atem Lashem. 
There is no judge that will find his own son guilty. He will always find a reason that there's something wrong with the prosecution, and he'll say innocent. Those are the three courts. Hashem's court, the rabbi's court, and Malachim's court. The question is, which one do you get judged in? It's up to you. Rav Shimon Bayechoi says in the Zayar that he was judged in Hashem's court. And therefore, he came out of the court 100% innocent. But it brings down like this. If you're very close to Hashem your whole life, and Hashem is your father, and you treat him like a father, like you're supposed to treat a father, and you have that relationship with Bonam Atem Hashem, that this is my father, and this is my relationship. So when you come to Shemayim, there's a sign. Hashem's children, courtroom number one. Hi, Shalom Aleichem, uh, I'm Hashem's children. What are you talking about? You never even spoke to him your whole life. What kind of connection did you have? Now all of a sudden you're Hashem's children. You were busy with all your partying and everything else. You knew that dad, Hashem, didn't want that. But you did it anyway. You can't come into this court. You don't have an ID card that says Banim or Basla Hashem. You didn't treat Hashem like he was your parent. Sorry. Court number two. Okay, court number two, I got a shot. I got a chance, right? The rabbis are in that court. Come to court number two. Stand at the door. Malach says, how can I help you? I'd like to go into this courtroom. I heard that one. <laughs> can I get into this courtroom? They're like, well, this courtroom is being judged by rabbis. How did you talk about rabbis in the other world? Were you pro-rabbis? Or did you walk around the whole time and saying, oh, rabbis, they're crooked, they're cheaters. I don't like them, they're mean, they treat us wrong. What do they know? They were, they were favoring my husband. I don't like rabbis. Let's play the tape and see how you treated the rabbis. Or every time you walked out of shul with your friends after Shabbos, you all had something nasty to say about the rabbi's speech. Huh? Now you want to go to the courtroom of rabbis? No can do. You bad mouth rabbis, you can't go into their courtroom. Courtroom number three. And courtroom number three, you come out guilty. So it's up to us what courtroom we get judged in. Don't talk bad about the Rabbanim. Try to have a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu like he's your father. And then you're guaranteed that when you come into his courtroom after 120 years on Rosh Hashanah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself will find a way to make you innocent. It's very important what comes out of your mouth. Okay, so we're going to end... This week's Pasha actually starts off with Shaiftim Vishaitrim Titan Lakhovacha. All your gates. What does that mean, all your gates? All your gates should have judges and officers by all your gates. What are your gates? What are the person's gates? All a person's gates are from their neck, from their chin up. Because from your shoulders down, there's no intake into your body. From your shoulders down. There's only things go out of your body. The gates are the intake. What's the intake in your body? Are the gates on your, from your neck up? What's the gates? Your ears, your eyes, your nose, your mouth. All those senses, they all take in. Says so this week's passion, which always comes out, I think, in Elul, is that the first thing a person needs to know in Elul is, and that's your preparation for Rosh Hashanah, for sure, is you got to close your gates. you got to put police officers and judgment at your gates and what you're looking at with your eyes. What are you looking at with your eyes? That's the gates to your neshama, your eyes. Are you watching things on the internet that you shouldn't be? Are you watching movies that you shouldn't be watching? What's going on with those gates? You can't come into Rosh Hashanah if the gates are open to everything and you're totally tummy inside. So the first thing you need to do is shayfim b'shayfim. you got to put police officer at the gate. What does that mean? That means I can't look. It means I can't turn it on. I can't go there. Not I'm going to turn it on and then I'm going to look away every time something shows up that I'm not supposed to see. You're, the gate means it's closed. It's a closed gate and there's a gatekeeper. And the gatekeeper says no. And that has to be your eyes and it has to be what you're listening to, the music that you listen to and the Lush and Hara that we listen to. And it has to be your mouth, the things that come out of your mouth and the things that go into your mouth. Your nose is the one gate that's brought down 
that didn't, that didn't do an Avera by the by the Eitzadas. And the nose is the most pure of all of a person's gates. And that's why it says that in the next world, in Gan Eden, there's a very beautiful reach in the next world. What does that mean? There's a reach because, because the nose is the most spiritual of all of, all of our senses. Whether it's smelling something good that you have to stay away from, or uh, something bad, or something good. So this week's parasha begins with shayftim v'shaytrim. That you need to put gates. It's Elul. We need to put gates. We need to stop. We need to make up our minds what we're going to stop. What are we going to stop the next 30 days that we come to Rosh Hashanah that we're going to be able to change our life. That's what Elul is all about. So downstairs is a, uh, a big sale. Junie's selling a lot of clothes. Baruch Hashem, I think they, they did very, very well. So I want to end off with a little Junie story. Okay? Didn't actually happen to Junie, but it could have happened to Junie. So there was this peasant, and he was getting married. And the guy never owned a suit in his life. It's a peasant living on a farm. They said, when you get married, you got to buy a suit. Where do you buy a suit? I live on a farm. So we're going to take you to the city. We're going to buy you a beautiful suit for your wedding. Oh, he's all excited. He was never in the city in his life. Comes to the city. There's a men's store. Walks into the men's store. He's wearing his dungarees and his cut-off shirt, whatever it is. Walks in. The salesman walks up and says, How can I help you? I'm getting married. Mazel tov. How can I help you? He says, I need to buy a shirt and a tie and a new suit. So the salesman's been there, Jewish salesman's been there for 30 years. He could just look at a guy and know what size he wears. Looks at him, says, 42 regular. Says, okay, that rack over there in the back, there's 15, 20 suits, 42 regular. You know, take the color that you want, black, blue, you're getting mad, whatever it is. I'll put it into the fitting room for you. Try them on, we'll, we'll, we'll find the suit for you. The guy is in that room with these eight black and blue suits, right? in that room for four and a half hours. <laughs> Salesman's waiting for him to come out. He wants to see what he looks like. Four and a half hours. He's trying on this clothing. Finally, the guy comes back out. He's in his dungarees and his cut-off shirt. Salesman says, what's going on? Did you find the suit? He says, none of them fit me. So what are you talking about? I'm doing this for a long time. You are a size 42 regular. He says, they're much too small. They're much too small. For sure they're not too small. You're a skinny guy. For sure they're not too small. Something's... Could you do me a favor? Can we go back into the dressing room? Could you try on a suit in front of me? Sure. No problem. Goes back into the dressing room. Puts on the suit. Over his shirt. Over his dungarees. He's trying to pull up the pants. Over his dungarees. He says, what are you doing? He says, what do you mean? You told me I'm a size 42. I should try on the suit. What are you, silly? You gotta take your shirt and your pants off. And you gotta try this pair of pants. You can't put the suit pants on top of your dungarees and the, and the jacket. What are you doing? He says, well, you didn't tell me that. You told me to try on the clothing. So I try to put the pants over my dungarees. And you know that I spent four hours pulling, stretching, trying to get these pants over my dungarees and it didn't work. The guy says, what a tippish, what a fool. What a, what a farmer. Didn't understand that when you try on a suit, you take off your old clothing before you put on the new clothing. Says the Chafetz Chaim. That's what Elul is all about. Says the Chafetz Chaim, you come Rosh Hashanah and you want to be a new person. You're a new Bria. You want to have a new year. You want to put on a new suit. But if you come Rosh Hashanah and you're still wearing the old suit, you're still doing the same things you did, Last year, then the new suit doesn't fit. So Elul is the time when we take off the old suit. All the old stuff that we did this year, we do tshuva. We have 30 days of doing tshuva so that when we come Rosh Hashanah, the new year fits. Because if we don't get rid of the old stuff, the new year doesn't fit. And we spend the whole year trying to squeeze that new year over the old year and all you have is saras. All you have is struggling. All you have is sorrows. So what a person needs to do is that for the next 30 days, you got to take off the old clothing. you got to get rid of all the old Averas. If you get rid of the old Averas, you'll come on Shoshanah, and you'll be able to have a Ksiva Ksima Toiva, and be able to get new stuff and new clothing, and it's going to fit like a glove.
So my bracha to everyone here is that Be'ezrat Hashem, you'll stick out your hand and you'll ask Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Ken Smach Krasen, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, can you cross me? HaKadosh Baruch Hu will grab everybody, every Jew's hand. He will cross us across the Yam, across the world, to Yerushalayim, to the Beis HaMikdash, the year of Mashiach. It brings down that when every 10 years, when, when it changes, we're going from Samach Tes to Ayin. We're going to a whole new, I don't know what you call 10 years in English, but what is it? A decade. We're going into a new decade. We're going into the Ayans. We're going into the Ayans. We should talk and see an Ayan Toiva. We should see Mashiach. And Hashem should take us by the hand and help. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.